Hello and welcome back to part two of this ICAEW podcast, More Than a Number, asking if businesses are prepared for climate change. I'm joined in the studio by Amelia Womack, Deputy Leader of the Green Party, uh, Mardi McBrien, Managing Director of the Climate Change Standards Board, John Cornerup, Head of Sustainability Strategy at Maersk on the line from Copenhagen, and the CEO of ICAEW, Michael Itzer. Well, let's move on to stakeholders, corporate stakeholders. And we've got a great quote here from Terry Leahy, former boss Tesco's, quoted as saying, investors want to know how exposed a business is to climate change. Michael, is this something ICAEW finance directors, members are facing? You know, continuous questions from institutional shareholders that own shares in the companies. What, what are the impacts? We need far more information. If you'd asked that question about three years ago, of most CFOs, they would say they'd never been asked a question by investors about climate change. I think in the last three years that started to change and there are some of the large global tracker funds who've become increasingly interested in this area. So BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard have all been very much at the fore in terms of beginning to show interest in this area. In fact, just just to give you an anecdote, Uh, In January, I was at Davos and talking to one of the big United States investors, and I wanted to talk to them about auditing. They wanted to talk to me about climate change reporting. So it is now on people's agenda in a way that it wasn't, but it's still to a limited way. And where in the corporate structure does this fall? Is there a separate department, climate change, or or does it literally does fit in the finance director's remit? And where do you think it should be? Well, I think it should sit with the board, because the board of a company, the ones who are charged with the overall governance and strategic direction. So if this is not a board issue, it's going to be pretty difficult for anybody else to make an impact on a company. You might find that if if the senior management are behind it, so the chief executive and the CFO, the company would be able to uh, get to grips with it. But there is no substitute for this being on the board agenda and for it being a, an absolute priority for a board. Marty? Yes and no. I think we are starting to get more and more boards excited about this. If you don't get buy-in from the top, well, what we are saying is you're getting some buy-in from the top. You get an excited chief executive that wants to make his mark in his tenure and wants to go out you know, on a high around climate or an environmental issue. And you've got a lot of sort of other people that have traditionally worked in more sustainability spaces and other parts of the business, even some young people in the finance department that want to do something. And then they kind of get faced with this clay layer in the middle between the top and the bottom. When they come to senior management, they can't get through to make anything happen. So this is really about sort of breaking down the silos, cutting through that clay layer and joining up across all parts of the business because this does not sit with any one part. John, do you sit in board meetings? Yes, and I, I also couldn't agree more on what has been said. And this is something that's happening these years. For many, many years for us, another, you can say, to some extent, soft issue, non-financial issue has been on the board, and that has been safety. But what we see now, and I'd say especially after the Paris Agreement, it has created an incredible momentum also with our, our shareholders and our investors. They now show up at our annual General Assembly and they ask questions about climate change on behalf of an enormous portfolio of assets on the management. And this is now on the board. 
So it is now, together with safety, a board issue in this company. Well, you can own a share for less than a second, but, um, but you know, debt, corporate debt, bonds exist 20, 30, 40, 50 years. You haven't just got shareholders. You've got companies raising money on the debt market. So they also looking at this, Michael. Yeah, I think providers of finance have got a big role to play here. So I was having a recent discussion last month with the CFO of a global energy business. And he told me that they were having to change their business investment decisions and their strategy was being affected at a board level by the fact that their long-term providers of finance had said that they no longer wished to advance the lines of credit for particular activities. Now, it was a French bank that was making that statement. And you will find that there's some parts of the world that are more active about this than others. So the European Union would be a a very active area. But that's an example of an outside provider of finance effectively beginning to change the business model of a global energy company. That's fascinating. John, do you know when your board speaks to providers of debt capital that this is a subject that's been brought up? Yes, I was just going to touch on that. This is the latest part of the trend. I mean, I think the share on the shareholder and the equity side, we've seen it for some years now. We have seen the debt sides really moving fast now. We have, for example, uh, led by um, CT, which is the largest provider of, of lending finance to the global shipping sector. Uh, shipping financing banks come together and, and, and made something called the Poseidon Principles, which is a set of principles about climate change for providing finance to the shipping sector. And the signatories covers more than 25% of all global finance to shipping. Do you think we're at the position yet, Michael, where a company that has a commitment to reducing carbon emissions will be valued more highly by the stock market, higher PE? I'm not sure we're at that yet. Will we get there? Well, if we go back to fundamentals, I mean, if the fundamentals are all about cash flow generation and the longevity of a business... If a business, when it does its long-term planning, its scenario planning, its viability statement, has a question mark about the length of time about which it's going to be able to trade and isn't doing enough to convince investors that it has something to either mitigate that or change its business model, it's not going to be reflected in its share price. Conversely, those who have a plan and are able to demonstrate clearly to investors that they can deal with this, I think will be more highly valued. I think a good example of that would be the car industry. Now, here in the UK and in other countries around the world, we have made a commitment, a date certain. We have said that after 2030, there'll be no petrol and diesel cars sold in the UK. Now, that doesn't mean diesel and petrol cars are going to disappear from our roads, but no new ones will be sold after 2030. Between now and 2030, the whole of the British car industry has to replan, remodel itself to either produce non-petrol and diesel cars or exit the industry. Being able to demonstrate that you have a plan for that or you don't have a plan will drive value. So that's interesting, Amelia. We've talked about shareholders driving change. We've talked about debt holders, you know, Mm -hmm. providers of capital driving change and regulation and politicians driving change. Does what you've heard make you feel happy about being a green campaigner or just thinking this should have happened years ago, there's loads more that needs to be done? This debate, where does it leave you? 
I feel that I hope that we're all sat here thinking this should have been done years ago because, as we keep saying about risk management, our businesses are currently at a state of risk as a result of increased severe weather events we've been talking about, the hurricanes that have been happening. And I think that we need to understand those plans and those commitments in so much detail but it's about policy as I said that policy that creates a level playing field is such an important opportunity because if you look at things like mining for example I know of mining companies that do want to increase their standards but they'll say we were unable to because just down the road there is another company that will undercut us and so I think that when we all recognise the role that we have to play in this then we will be able to create that action so it does leave me with hope but I think we're all on the same page that this needed to happen it's urgent it's about our future as individuals as people as businesses our future of our country and this planet and it demands nothing less than clear action now. Well you brought up cost so John I don't know how open you can be have you even done the numbers as to how much climate change has cost your business so far have you done the numbers as to what it could cost in the next 20 years? A third of our operating cost, the money we spent to actually run the business, a third of that is fuel. And obviously the question about talking about level playing field, whether the solutions that would take us on the right pathway in terms of climate change can compete with the fuels that don't, is an absolutely business critical question to us. Just a few percentages of disadvantages when you have something that's 30% of your operating cost base can drive you out of business. That's why we have been very clear in saying we cannot do this alone. Uh, We want to do it with the industry, but we also need to do it with the energy industry and we need to do it with the political level because we need to change the incentive structures in the market. And yet at the same time, the company has made this public commitment to net zero carbon emissions by 2050 without knowing anything about how much it might cost you. Yes, because we see, we see the announcement and setting the target both as a part of this is really the right thing to do. I mean, climate change is bigger than all of us. I'd say it is ingrained in our values that when there is something that big, we need to play our part where we can. The chance for the shipping sector together with the energy sector to actually make this transition happen Will, will be much bigger if we go proactively out to try to drive the market than if we just sit and wait and see if there will be some cost breakthrough somewhere. Because innovation and cost breakthrough, they don't come out of themselves. They come because we deliberately invest in them. And therefore, the energy companies has come to us, all of them, since, since this and said, great, finally, somebody on the demand side end here are saying, we are here, we want to partner, we want to buy these solutions Uh, as much as we can, of course. And then we collectively uh, actually want to engage the political level because there will be a need for change in incentive structures around the cost of fuel for this to happen. You're listening to More Than A Number, brought to you by ICAEW. Michael, there are some big numbers bandied around about quite how much this could cost us economically, both the damage done to the to businesses from climate change, but also needing to adapt to climate change and then mitigate the climate change. Merck's commitment to zero net carbon emissions. What do you make of all these numbers? Because they're huge and massive guesses. Yes, they are. It's quite often the case that people will quote numbers that are trillions. Mm-hmm. And 
we, we shouldn't actually be daunted by that because what we're actually talking about is a, is a remodeling, a recalibration of, of how we operate and how we exist both as business and society. The cost of not doing it is, is actually far more profound because uh, we only have one planet. And when we talk about future jobs and we, and we worry about technology replacing uh, what we do today, one of the things I heard in a recent film was that there are no jobs on a dead planet. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, I think that's what it comes down to. We, we might be scared by the numbers, but the world is perfectly capable of financing any sort of number. And often when people quote numbers that are big, they are the gross cost of doing something. What about all the opportunities that actually are on the other side where you create new industries? And if I can just come back on one of the points that John made, the difficulties of first mover advantage. First movers could be a target for uh, investors taking fright and and leaving. But first mover can also bring with it lots of advantages when others want to learn from you so that you actually find that your experience becomes a much sought-after commodity. And if we think about the global goals, you know, we are all going to have to comply with the 17 global goals by 2030. Our country is committed to those. 190 countries around the world have committed to them. Whoever can actually help in transition is going to do very well. You know, there are going to be losers, but there are going to be winners. I would rather be backing winners than losers. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion, but I'm afraid we probably do need to close it. I just want to, for all of you to go back to the question we asked right at the very top. Are businesses prepared for climate change? And I'm going to ask you all that question. Mardi. I mean, climate change re- requires a globally coordinated response. It, it's much bigger than you know anything we've kind of touched on here today to get there. I mean, we're not on track now to get to, you know, we've got 11 years to hit 1.5. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We have the currently national determined contributions of countries around the world to, to meet our climate targets are going to hit us at three degrees. So, I mean, if you're a company, that's really hard hitting reality. So, you know, we've talked a lot today about today about reporting the role that can play in transparency and uh, resilient economies. But but my plea out there is, you know, it's great to put in place um, policies and things that say companies must report. But if that's not enforced, we're never going to get there fast enough. So, you know, I, my plea is for enforcement of that. So, so your plea is also to anyone listening to this <laughs> podcast, your plea is go to your finance director, go to your board and say, have we signed up to Mardi's Mardi's rules. You don't need to sign up to my rules. You just need to start thinking about how climate risk and opportunity affects your business and starting to act on that. And I think that's more important than any particular framework or standard in the entire world. It's actually, it's action we need, Louise, and, you know, and no, no one or one thing in particular. But start with the Climate Disclosure Standards Board. That would be great. <laughs> Amelia. I think actions are really important takeaway. And I think that while we're talking about politicians lagging behind, businesses and people need to remember their own power to lobby, to petition and make sure that they are talking to their politicians that represent them to, to get these changes because politicians will listen when they know that those other sectors, that business, that people are behind those changes. So the Amelia takeaway is business leaders often meet their local politicians And with all the other things they discuss, Brexit, investment, tax rules, climate change should be on that list. Absolutely. John in Copenhagen. I want to build on what Michael said. The world is perfectly capable of financing what is needed 
but the finance will only flow if the one that holds the money believes that the other actors want to go that way. And I think businesses are stepping up now with, with commitments, the finance sector as well. I mean, it was said we can't wait for the politicians, but they, the political side is lagging behind and it has to move. It will, we will need all sectors to move. Uh, if, if they do and send the right signals, uh, finance will come. We, we have money enough to do it. It's, that's not the problem. Our businesses, I will, I'll, I'll talk for ourselves. Are we ready? I mean, we, are, we've come quite far. I think we have it integrated into our business strategy. It's, uh, it's across our company. It's on the board. Uh, level, but uh, does that mean that we uh, we are 100% certain that we will successfully ride through these uh, difficult waters? No, because it is a difficult uh, question. It's a fat tail issues with outcomes in both extremes that we need to to mitigate. But I think we set up well in the sense that it is placed in the company where it should be placed. Well, the last words should go to you, Michael, Chief Executive of ICAEW. I'm a little more optimistic than everybody else because. Although business is not ready for this today, we can be. And what we actually need is not individual companies to solve it themselves. We need a global movement. Everybody needs to get behind this. Now, can that be done in the time available? Let's go back to something which was celebrating its anniversary this year. The Americans got a man on the moon in 1969 by everybody in that country from the president down to the cleaner at NASA, knowing what the goal was and what they were going for. We actually need that same level of commitment and understanding across the world, across all businesses, that by 2030, we are going for that 1.5 degree maximum limit. Now, my, my belief is that as a species, we are great problem solvers. We just haven't had enough of us who've approached this problem in the most creative and urgent way needed so far. And my hope is that if there are any chartered accountants listening to this, you actually think about what you can do to actually help solve this global problem. Because we are global problem solvers, and this is the biggest global problem of all time. I love the moon landing analogy. Thank you, Michael. So thank you to the panel, Amelia Womack, Deputy Leader of the Green Party, John Cornerup, Chief Advisor for Climate Change and Head of Sustainability at Maersk. Thank you, John. Mardi McBrien, Managing Director of the Climate Change Standards Boards. And of course, Michael Itzer, Chief Executive of the ICAEW. You've been listening to More Than a Number with Louise Cooper, a podcast brought to you by ICAEW, the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales. For those of you that don't know, Chartered Accountants are highly trained, critical thinkers who apply their knowledge to get behind the numbers and work towards building a world of strong economy. So make sure you subscribe to More Than a Number so you never miss an episode. If you want to get in touch with the show, just email mtanmtan at icaew.com. Tune in next time where we're going to hear about inequality in the workplace and whether it really is inevitable. We'll also be looking at how 350 million can seduce and manipulate. We'll also be taking a look at how we could profit off the planet to the tune of $12 trillion. And we'll be asking the question, does business really have an age problem? <laughs>